0: Please, to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, If you are visiting, uh, we have been in the Gospel of John for uh, quite a while, for about a year or so. And um, we've taken a a slight little breather. We're in some assorted passages. um, um, And then we shall uh, return at some point uh, in the near future. But we're going to read Deuteronomy 7. This is a long chapter. I make no apologies for that. I'm going to read it at a good pace. Um, If. if we, rush, if we rush anything, let it, let it, let's not, not have it be God's Word. Let's have it be the stuff that, you know, I came up with. Let's, uh, let's focus on the truth together. Uh, this is God's Word, Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. "'And when the Lord your God gives them over to you "'and you defeat them, "'then you must devote them to complete destruction. "'You shall make no covenant with them "'and show no mercy to them. "'You shall not intermarry with them, "'giving your daughters to their sons "'or taking their daughters for your sons. "'For they would turn away your sons from following me "'to serve other gods. "'Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you "'and He would destroy you quickly.' But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and your grain and your wine and your oil and increase... Uh, "'The increase of your herds and the young of your flock "'in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. "'You shall be blessed above all peoples. "'There shall not be male or female barren among you "'or among your livestock. "'And the Lord will take away from you all sickness "'and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, "'which you knew will he inflict on you, "'but he will lay them on all who hate you. "'And you shall consume all the peoples "'that the Lord your God will give over to you. "'Your eyes shall not pity them, "'neither shall you serve their gods.' for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid." Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And He will give you their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven." No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction." Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've all said the Pledge of Allegiance, and I hope we still do that in schools. Do do we still do that, honey? Yay, we still say the Pledge of Allegiance? No, we don't. We don't. Really? In public school, where? Houston? Where is that? We do in elementary. So in high school, we don't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. Well, that's, that's pretty shocking, um, especially when it ends, it ends with, with liberty and justice for all. I mean, isn't that what all Americans want is liberty and justice? Yes. Um, well, <clears throat> it's a big thing to pledge allegiance to one's country. Um, if you pledge allegiance to your country, uh, not only do you tear up when they raise the flag at the Olympics, but uh, when you pledge allegiance to your country... Um, your allegiance is such that you would die for her. If called into the military, you would defend her. Um, if attacked, you would defend her. To be a citizen is to give one's complete allegiance to one's country. You know, I'm a married man. I demand allegiance. I demand fidelity from that woman. She is a married woman. She demands she deserves complete fidelity from me. That's the way it works when you pledge allegiance in such a way. It is right and good. And if you want to know what the main idea of this passage there's a lot here. There's stuff that can be used. I mean, I, really, you could break this down into at least three sermons, but I've got them packaged into one just, just because that's how it was kind of on my heart to do. But. Um, uh, folks, if you had to break this down and all this information in here from, you know, stuff about election, stuff about uh, what God is like, his attributes, uh, the way he deals with his enemies, um, uh, the way he can, he, he, he can even, uh, well, just a, a million things. Um, if you had to break it down to one big idea, I think this would be a good one. God exacts exclusive allegiance. I picked exacts because it had a vowel and it kind of had a good ring to it, but God demands, God commands, God requires exclusive allegiance, allegiance to him that surpasses everything else. Um, worship of anything else but him is treasonous. When you think about yourself as a Christian, the very first thought should not be, I'm Jim from Memphis, but I am a Christian. That's the very first thought that should pass through a Christian's mind if you have pledged your allegiance to this God, if he has set his love upon you, as it says here in this passage, uh, and has deigned you as his. So we see this demonstrated in our passage here today. Um, So the books of the Bible are as follows. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you know the song. And so here we are in Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's um, the fifth book of the Pentateuch. You know what the Pentateuch is? It's the first five books. They're written by Moses. It's also called the Torah. Um, um, and uh, in them, God delivers the Israelite people amongst many things. He, 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 um, you know, he comes to Moses. He delivers the Israelite people. He uh, covenants with Abraham and calls him and so on. Um, and in using Moses... He delivers the Egyptian excuse me, he delivers the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. All right, so there's this massive exodus. God leads them out of slavery in Egypt, and he leads them toward and ultimately into a land of promise. He's going to give them a land in which the people will dwell, the Israelites will dwell. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua is the book where they will be led in by Joshua into the land of promise. All right, so here we are. Uh, you know where we are in, this, in the scene. Um, in verse 1, it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, clears away many nations from you. That's what's going to happen in uh, Joshua. But you can see, we're in Deuteronomy. It's only you finish this book and boom, and the Israelites go in. So uh, now you know where you are in the scheme of things. And uh, it is very important to God, this right here, that, uh, he, that, that the people have exclusive allegiance to him in all things. All right, so I've got three points for you. Let's uh, look at the first one. Um, The fierce destruction of idols. Um, It says um, in verse one, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Now stop there for a second. Who is doing what? God is doing the stuff. Uh, Yes, uh, the the Israelites are going to take possession of it. Yes, um, they are going to enter a land. But it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering, it is the Lord God who is doing the stuff. All right? Um, Look at verse 1 again. When the Lord your God brings you into the land and you are entering, take possession of it, and clears away many nations. Who's doing the clearing? The Lord your God. Well, he leads you into the land, you're going to clear many nations. But who's doing it? The Lord your God clears away many nations before you. Um, how about this in verse 2? When the Lord your God gives them over to you, who's doing what? God. God is doing the stuff. Yes, God is moving into the, his people into the, the land of promise. Um, he's also utilizing the Israelites as an instrument, a tool of justice. Yes, he is doing that. Um, I say all that to say this. When you get a little bit squeamish about reading about these uh, nations that are being uh, kicked out, and you go, ooh, that sounds kind of tough, and I mean, uh, uh, total destruction, and chopped on their pillars, and, uh, and uh, burn things, and uh, utterly detest, uh, devoted to destruction, those are very strong words and you go, ooh, that's <coughs> frankly, that's a little alarming. Um, uh, when, you, when you feel that little bit of a uh, tension in your heart as you read this, make sure you cut the Israelites a little bit of slack. It's not that they, were, that they were some kind of warlike people. They were being sent by God to do what He wanted to do. This is God's initiative, God's empowering. Um, you, you know, that brings us to one of the great conundrums of the Bible. Uh, if, if God is loving, how could He order such Destruction. Uh, that's a very good question. It's a good question. How could a loving God um, deal so mercilessly? In fact, it even says, don't show any mercy. How could a loving God behave in that way? Well, uh, it, and I'll tell you this too, look at how severe the situation is. Um, the list of people in verse 1, you've got the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. If you grew up in a Baptist church, There's always a mosquito bites joke that comes right there. I won't, you know, uh, I've tried to spare you from that. But um, uh, in varying forms, uh, that the list of those nations uh, show up ten times in the Pentateuch, and sometimes it's ten nations, sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's less. But there's a list of of occupying nations in the land of Canaan that show up seven times in the Pentateuch. Um, Now there there are some uh, important things to note here. Uh, First of all, uh, complete removal. Uh, of these nations, um, the, I think the list is in there, so we know how comprehensive the effort is. God wants them all gone. He wants the land not just uh, occupied. He wants the land taken. He wants the land subdued. And if you study the book of Joshua, you will find um, that is a that is a big flaw of the Israelite people. They occupy the land, but they ain't they ain't obeying God here. They occupy the land but they don't have possession of it. They 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 haven't they haven't subdued it. They don't, they don't have dominion over it. Uh, okay, so that's one reason you see a list of all these nations showing up in the Pentateuch 10 times. Uh, but there's another one. Another reason and the other reason is this that God is not capricious. God knows exactly who these people are. He knows exactly their wicked practices. He knows it thoroughly just like he knows everything that's going on in your heart, he has uncovered every stone. He judges not capriciously, but in righteousness. So when you see these kinds of things in this kind of terminology, um, verse two, devote them to complete destruction. You have to know that God knows what he's doing and he knows the sin, he knows the degradation. He knows how far away these people are and uh, he is judging in righteousness. And by the way, that term... um, Devote them, at, this is at the very, well, about the middle of verse 2, uh, you must devote them to complete destruction. There's kind of a double idea in there, kind of a repetitive idea. I mean, if something's destroyed, it's destroyed. But it says, uh, devote them to complete destruction. It's, it's like destroy, destroy, like super destroy, like completely destroy, completely remove. Uh, and there is a word for that, and it means to devote something to complete utter destruction. Um, one of my Old Testament professors, you ever take a class from Currid, John Currid? Okay, one of my old professors um, uh, from RTS uh, wrote this. He said, it is God's justice acting against those who hate him and reject him. Israel is the tool of God's justice. But again, uh, the question of, uh, is how can a loving be, God be so harsh? Uh, it is God's justice acting against those who hate him and reject him. That that puts a tension in our hearts. We go, wow, this is a harsh judgment. Uh, is God really saying, uh, get rid of all these people, eradicate all these people, drive out all these people, kill people? Is God really saying that? The reason we find that to be so uh, abrupt and offensive an idea is that we don't understand God's holiness. Um, we don't understand um, what burning... Comprehensive, white hot, utter purity is uh, punishment of sin is only shocking because we're not in proper awe of God. You know, uh, is Teresa Baker in here? All right. Well, Teresa Baker got me on this bread kick, and so she gave me this sourdough starter. I've had a million illustrations. I'm sure you're sick of bread illustrations, but um, when I when I uh, you know you 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 build the Levan, le and you blah, blah, and you do all these turns, and the dough gets, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do they call that? Extensible, and, uh, and you spill it out on the bench, and you shape it, and blah, blah. When you spill it out on the bench, you know, I, the bench, that means your kitchen counter. Um, and uh, a lot of stuff happens on your kitchen counter. You want to clean that kitchen counter. Well, when I spill it out onto the bench on the kitchen counter, I've told Tammy, I 409 that thing, <laughs> antibacterial. Um, let it sit, wipe it down, and then I rinse it three times. You know why? Because I don't want bacteria in my food, and I don't want 409 in it either. And once I do that, I've got a pristine surface, and I don't do stupid things on it, like set my briefcase on it that's been on the floor of an airport. Um, I keep that to be a, 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 a pristine area. It is sanctified. It is set apart. You could even say that it is holy because I have, I have. Designated it to be something that is utterly pure. That's the way God is, and uh, like I say, we find His judgment shocking just because we don't have a proper awe of Him. Uh, One more thing too, that that uh, I find to be quite wonderful in all this: when 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 God is um, eradicating these people from the land and bringing the Israelites in, you know what else He's doing? He's protecting the Israelites his concern is for their welfare. He's moving things away from them that can contaminate his people, uh, and it's a, an expression of his protective love. You know, if a baby, young, some little young toddler person wanders off as they do and gets near something that's sharper or harmful, mom turns into a ninja and is somehow able to get there and protect that child fiercely, well, that's what I'm saying here. Um, fierce destruction of idols, that which can hurt. God is in that business, friend, for those on whom he has set his love. Now, application for your life. Um, look at verse 16, the end of it. We're skipping ahead just for a little bit, but um, it's, look halfway through um, verse 16. Uh, well, let's read all of it. You shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them. Neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Uh, To be ensnared is mentioned again in this same chapter. God doesn't want us to be ensnared. He doesn't want us to be trapped um, or caught. Um, Yeah, same thing in verse 4. They would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods, and the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you. God doesn't want that to happen. You know, here's a good quote from a and I was reading. Um, he says, we must give no space. I love that. We must give no space to things that could ensnare us and lead us to sin. No space. Uh, and in doing that, yes, we are to be alert in the Holy Spirit of God as we live our lives, it's true. Uh, we are to think about things from above, it is true. We are to be anchored in the scriptures. Uh, we are to be a prayerful people. We're to remove things that are a hindrance uh, for our own obedience. But I think, practically speaking, that is just such a great, a great way to, to, to take something from this passage that we leave no space for something that could ensnare us. That means that we have filled that space with something that is better. Uh, and that the something that is better is the person and the will of God. Okay, our second point, um, the God who keeps covenant. Uh, verse 12, let's look at it. Uh, because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep, you, uh, keep with you. Uh, that because right there, uh, and because, I don't, what do you have, Ron Goss? Verse Verse 12. What was that? Let's talk louder. Harken. Um, the, the, literally, the idea is on the heels of. On the heels of. You ever had toilet paper stuck on your shoe? It follows rather closely, and it follows right along with the movement of your foot. Uh, that's the idea here. Uh, because you listen to these rules and keep them, God's going to keep with you. Um, it's right there on the heel being pulled along. So it is with verse 12. Because you listen to God and obey him, he blesses you covenantally. Now let's hit pause there for a second because once we start talking like that, I know we're in the Old Testament, but once we start talking about like that, it's usually scary because it feels like, oh no, does this encroach on the gospel of grace? When you talk about obeying and then God is going to be nice to you, that sounds kind of merit-oriented and uh, it, it, it's, it's scary to our souls. Well, friends, uh, looking at the whole course of the scriptures and, and the way the Savior was ultimately brought into this world, did the Israelite people exhibit complete fidelity to Yahweh, did they? No, they did not. They failed. Did God exhibit complete fidelity to His promises to them? Sure did. Um, that's the big difference. And uh, there's, kind of a, there's kind of an Easter egg, you know, literally and figuratively. If, if we're talking about an Easter egg as something that's hidden in a thing, uh, there's kind of an Easter egg. Uh, in verse 12, it says, uh, the Lord your God will keep you Uh, will keep with you the covenant and steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. That's the gospel hope right there. Yes, he has covenanted with the Israelites, and uh, he, he wants them to obey. He desires for them to obey. It is his will for them to obey. And of course, ultimately, eventually, they don't. But that's his desire, and yet he still remains faithful. Why? It is the covenant and covenant loyalty. It is the covenant and the steadfast love. I love that uh, it's been translated covenant and covenant loyalty instead of steadfast love by some. Um, The idea is that God is and will be always true to his promise. That's the gospel message, friend, okay? Um, uh, God requires us to obey. God is pure God is our maker. If you're the designer, if you're the engineer, if you made something to operate a certain way, then you have a right to say the way it's supposed to operate. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter about cultural mores. Doesn't matter about pressure. Doesn't matter about your own uh, misinterpretation of the scriptures. Um, none of that stuff matters. The maker has sovereign right over what he's made to say. This is how I want it to be. He tells us how he wants things to be in this book. To 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 stray from that is to sin. Um, And yet, even though we have strayed, even though we are sinners, God still has intervened. God still remained true to his promise. And it is shown in no grander way, um, no more loving way, no more lovingly expressed than in God sending his son while we were yet sinners. We were dead in transgressions and sins. God sends his son to make us alive. And that is God working in mercy. We didn't deserve it, but God showed grace anyway. Um, they didn't deserve to have a savior come through them, but God was good to his promise, the promise that he swore, the promise that he didn't break. That's the gospel message, friends. So Jesus died on the cross in the sinner's place. Jesus died on the cross to pay your crime, to take your spanking, to go into timeout. That's what Jesus did on the cross so that you might be found uh, righteous and guilty. Here's another Easter egg. Um, Verse 16, as, as we read before, you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them. Um, don't serve their gods, that'll be a snare to you. We read that and we go, yeah, I, get the, I get the snare to you part. Well, we don't want to serve their gods, but wow, we can't even pity them. Um, that is pretty tough. Um, well, there's here's some cool stuff in here for you. In this section, we're just going to kind of bounce through. In verse 13 and following, you notice that there's a lot of stuff about like, fertility, and fruit, and agriculture, and health, and flourishing. Uh, verse 13 and following, he'll love you, bless you, multiply you. Um, he'll bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground. He'll bless your grain, your wine, your oil, increase your herds, the young in your flock. Again, he, he cites the promise made. You'll be blessed among people. Male and female won't be barren among your livestock, um, Diseases will be will be uh, held withheld. Uh, health, health, flourishing, fertility, fertility, fertility. Uh, why is this cited so hard for a big chunk? You know why? Because the list of nations in that land prayed to and worshipped false gods that were all about fertility. Now we go to Kroger and we get our chicken in plastic, and uh, we don't even know that it came from an animal. And if we see blood, we go, eh, eh, we've never chopped off a head. Some of you, who's chopped off a head? Look at all y'all, country people. Um, but the rest of us, we're just like, ew, icky. Well, I, that's where food comes from. Um, and, you know, if uh, the rains don't come and we have a really uh, dry season, we start going, oh, no, man. Uh, my family is going to be hungry and we're going to lose uh, 10 pounds apiece in about six months. So we better uh, gird ourselves up for that experience. When you're an agricultural uh, uh Community that is important to you, and so these nations were worshiping all these different gods, and they had all these fertility rites and fertility um, things that were gross, gross temple prostitution, child sacrifice, things that would they hope would bring on the rains and things that they would hope would increase their cattle and and their their family line and their military and all that kind of stuff. Um, they would worship those kind of gods. The Canaanites had gods for all those things. Their religious rites were grotesquely concerning fruit. And what it's saying here is that God is sovereign over all. Hey, Israelites, don't worship those fake detestable gods. Don't do it. I've got you. I'll bring about the flourishing. I'll bring about fertility. Don't, Don't worship those detestable gods um, in fact, you know, in verse 16, it says, "And you shall consume all the peoples." Um, literally, it is you shall, you shall, um, uh, uh, yeah, eat them, <laughs> consume them, eat them. I mean, once you eat food, it ain't supper anymore, is it? It's something else. It's gone. You ain't gonna get it back. You ain't gonna put that cheesecake back on the plate once you eat it. It's been consumed. Uh, It's kind of like feeding a fire. When you, if I love building fires in the winter, you feed that fire, and once you feed it, it's consumed. That's the idea application. It is no far stretch to say in our practical lives, here in two thousand eighteen, that that is the way we're supposed to treat sin. Sin is an enemy in the land. Uh, Sin is a parasite. Sin is an agitator in the quest for peace. Sin is a separator between you and your relationship with God, your, your relationship um, and, and, its, and its warmth uh, and continuity. Sin is a separation between me and my relationship with my wife. It breaks relationships, right? And so the idea is we should treat sin ferociously. We should eat it, consume it, kick it out, destroy it, uh, in its entirety, at the same time resting on the provisions that God's going to make. Uh, it is hard to make changes. Um, all of us will attest, I'm first in line. Um, but but not leaving space for sin and viewing it as the, as the enemy that it is, not to be toyed with, but the enemy that it is, is, uh, is foremost. All right, our last point, no fear or dread. Um, In verses 17 and 18, it says, you shall not be afraid of them. Um, There's another afraid in there somewhere that I can't find right at the moment, but there's another don't be afraid of them. Uh, Look at verse 21. You shall not be in dread of them. Um, There's a built-in answer to to, um, not fearing. Uh, I know it's scary when you got a big army, and I know it's scary when you're way outnumbered, but don't be afraid of them. Um, There's a built-in answer When it says, You shall not be afraid of them in verse 18, listen, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did. That's the cure for your fear. Don't be afraid of them. Rather, remember what the Lord your God did. Recall it, rehearse it, bring it up. Um, Verse 21 You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Again, that's the cure. Um, you, you have fear in this life. You have fear of enemies. You have fear of your own self and your own stumblings, and you have fear of the future. You, you, have, you have fear over <laughs> what your relationships are going to be like and what your family is going to do and how your kids are going to turn out and all those kinds of things. You have fear? Don't Don't be afraid don't be afraid. God has set his love on you. And remembering what God did for you redemptively, remembering what God is like in, as he describes himself in his word, remembering the covenantal promises that are expressed um, and afforded you and possessed by you in the, the saving work of the Lord Jesus, remember those things, rehearse them, recall them, go sing them. Um, that, that's your cure for um, fear uh, all right, last thing. Uh, you're going to sing a chorus today, uh, and the, the last verse says, "God, I am faith. God, I am faithless, and my heart will not understand. Give me discernment, to see the lie within my own right hand." The lie within my own right hand. You know that's really uh, that's from that's all over the Bible, all over Isaiah. But Isaiah forty-four talks about the lie within one's own right hand. You know we hang on to this thing and we think it's going to give us security, like Linus's blanket. We hang on to this thing. We think it's going to be enough. We hang on to this thing. We think we're going to find our confidence in that. And all of a sudden, the world undulates, and we go, "Wait a second, is this stupid thing what I'm holding on to?" It's a lie in my right hand. The point is, that's what idolatry is. It is trusting in the fake. It is trusting to save you to save you, trusting something to save you that's just a, a mere um, religious token, can't help you. God can help you. Last thing is this. In verse six, um, look at it. it says, "You're a holy people. Excuse me, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Some of your translations may have peculiar possession, which I rather love. You're a peculiar possession of the saving God. Peculiar because you're unlikely, but peculiar because he set his love upon you. Peculiar because he set you apart. Peculiar because he named you his own peculiar um, because he uh, saved you by the blood of his son. Um, that's you, friend, peculiar, um, one of the peculiar ones um, in Christ, in God's remembrance, and that is due to uh, his faithfulness, the promise that he swore. Let's pray. Righteous Father, we bow before you and um, we, we consider your holiness a whole lot. We hear it preached, we sing it. Um, we rejoice in it and at the same time uh understanding infinite holiness is quite hard to grasp. Um we've got our own attitudes about what's good and what's profitable and, and uh and uh how how hard we're trying and how good we think we're doing, but but, but compared to white snow, everything else is Dingy. We pray that You would expand our understanding of Your holiness. We pray that we would tremble and delight over it. We pray that it would be exhilarating um, to our souls and that it would make us happy, make us happy-hearted people in our quest to follow and obey You. It is hard out there, Lord. It's hard in this world. It's hard to dis- discern what is the right thing to do, but might You, what, might you just press into our souls that whatever else is happening, uh, our allegiance to you is foremost, and you are holy, holy, holy. We come only in Christ's name then. Amen. Thanks, y'all.